Welcome to the Defender Podcast Extra Edition. I'm Rick Morton, your host. The Defender Podcast Extra Edition is brought to you as a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services. Uh, We're coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Thankful that you're joining us today. Um, Today, I'm joined by Whitney White, who is uh, education specialist in our international ministry program here at Lifeline, also a counselor. Um, Whitney, for many of you that are familiar with Lifeline, you've met Whitney through the, the process of our Crossings uh, Adoptive Education, and uh, she is a she's an integral part of our team. So welcome, Whitney. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Rick. It's my pleasure. It's really, really good to have you and, and know that you really have spent um, a lot of time and a big chunk of your life in helping adoptive families to to start well and to do well. And, and so um, first out of the gate, let's talk a little bit about the importance of of preparation for international adoptive families. Why is it, why is it vitally important that um, those who are adopting internationally would, um, would receive specialized training to help them in their journey as adoptive parents? Man, right. This is something that I'm quite passionate about. So I could probably give a very long elaboration over why it's important to educate, educate and equip families well, but we really strive at Lifeline to serve families very well from the very beginning, from when they first submit an application throughout the home study process and preparation for travel, and then continuing to provide resources and education post-adoption. So we just believe that the more prepared families are on the front end, the more successful they're going to be on the back end. And so we want to set those very realistic expectations. We want them to understand the amount of effort that this is going to take, but we kind of take this pay now or pay later approach in the way that we educate families. And so we encourage them to make that deep investment at the beginning and to really make the sacrifices that they need, work really hard, um, follow all of the suggestions that are provided to them in hopes that this is going to lead to quicker healing and to quicker change into a better and smoother adjustment for their child. Yeah. So let's talk just a, just a moment about the, the environment that um, the kids are, are very often coming from. And, and I know I can speak to this personally um, in my own life and, you know, things that we've, we've seen in our, in our own family that, um, that very often our kids are, are coming from environments where, um, they're, they're kind of based on efficiency. It's a lot of caregivers who are, who are pouring a little bit of their time into a lot of kids. And so they're making sure that they have food and clothing and shelter, but, um, but the emotional needs, the attachment needs of kids, um, you know, very often are, are not met very well. And so, so how does the specialized adoption training that parents are receiving, how does that particularly um, help to to sort of make up the gap in in what children maybe haven't received in the past. Yeah, great question. Um, you know, all of our children that we serve, they have different stories and they've got different experiences. But the truth is that the vast majority of them, if not all of them, have experienced trauma on some level. Whether that is prenatal trauma through a stressful pregnancy or a difficult delivery, early hospitalization, and then we've got the other three risk factors to healthy development, which are trauma, abuse, and neglect. And so 
all of the children, regardless of their age, regardless of whether it is through foster care, through adoption or domestic adoption, many of them are coming just from a difficult place. And they're coming from a place of trauma and from compromised beginnings of life. And so due to this either inconsistent caregiving or neglectful caregiving that they received or just unhealthy caregiving practices that they've experienced early on, many children especially who are in foster care and who have been adopted, they just have trust issues. And they these trust issues manifest themselves in a number of ways, whether it be through fear or anxiety or stress or just feelings of not having self-worth. So this foundation of their core beliefs called an internal working model is established in their lives very early on. And so they learn that, they have unhealthy beliefs about themselves, about their caregivers, and about their world in general. And it takes time for those belief systems to kind of shift and change or for them to learn new things. They just have to learn safety. They've got to learn trust and they have to learn love, which are lofty ambitions for parents in, in an attempt to teach these things to the children. Yeah, and and Whitney, I think it's important to remember, and you know, something that that we're working on, even you know, for our staff, is to think about the even the spiritual implications, the implications of of, of being able to know and follow Jesus as a result of building that foundation of trust, and that 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 part of what we're equipping parents to do is to. Um, is to do some things to be hypersensitive and to do some things that are that are kind of out of the box and maybe seem a little bit extreme, um, but for the long term payoff that by spending some time in cocooning, spending some time in in really intentionally investing in a trust relationship with with your children early on, it's going to make it easier for them to build trust. Um, and ultimately, it's going to make it easier for things even like them putting their faith and trust in Jesus. Um, and so, you know, we're, we um, I think sometimes families don't um, completely understand the importance. And, and what we want to say is that this is a this is a high stakes game, not just for the functioning of your children um, mm-hmm. in, in the short term, but it's it's a high stakes game and returning them to the place that that God intended family to give them in the first place, which is. A, a basic sense of trust and a basic sense of security. So what does it look like for a family to to prioritize trust and security in in the way that they parent when they come home? Yeah. Yeah. Um it it looks like a lot of times um like establishing ground rules and setting boundaries with many family and friends. That's a common way that I feel like it can look because that's just because simple, seemingly innocent acts, even coming from the most, the best intentions imaginable can cause regression and attachment between the parent and the child, which is definitely what we don't work toward. Um, so there are many reasons why families are encouraged to kind of lay low for a while and especially when their child first enters their home. And one reason is that the children need to learn that their parents are just different from everybody else, that they're not like everyone else who has come and gone out of their life over and over again. They've got to learn that their parents are committed to them, that they are different from those around them. And in addition to that, 
They've got to learn that their parents are the ones who are going to meet their needs and that they can depend on them to do so. Maybe they haven't had anybody to be depend on in the past to meet their needs. They've been very self-reliant and had to be for survival. So this helps trust and attachment form between the parents and the child. And they are able to see the child, the parents faithfully and predictably meeting their needs again and again, which provides all of those things that we mentioned, like trust and security and safety over time. So let me be honest with you that um, that like as a family, we understood that on paper. Right. And, and, and so when when we were coming home after our first adoption, we had been well schooled and had been well prepared. Um, but there was this person that was at the airport. We lovingly call her Nana. Um, and and. Like Nana wanted that relationship. I get emotional even thinking about it now because of because of having to parent in the gap between our son that we knew um, needed our attention and our devotion and and really needed us to be the primary ones that were meeting his needs so that he would learn to trust us. And therefore, he would learn to trust everyone else and learn to trust other things. Um, but stand in the gap between that and, and somebody who wanted to be a grandparent for a long, long, long time. Yeah. And so, like, talk about uh, just a little bit about what what goals are we trying to set for families and, and, and why, um, you know, why do we need to be so insistent, even with those that are that are closely held friends and family to, mm -hmm. to sort of uphold this bonding zone for a while that we create with families? Yeah. That's a great, a great point. And just as I find myself, because I've seen some of those negative implications of letting other people in, loving family members or friends in a little too early, and I've seen negative repercussions from that, I have a tendency to say, no, 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 like I want to establish more rules. I want to encourage families to um, set up firmer boundaries. And then I'm reminded of how much I adored my niece and how much I just wanted to scoop her up at five years old when she came home from Africa and how I wanted to just pour everything. And this is the professional who is supposed to teach all of the boundaries. And I wanted to break the rules so bad. So I get that. I completely understand that from a parent's perspective. And I think that if we can educate our family and friends well about the why and all of what we're talking about, they're going to have a better understanding and they're going to be able to show more grace. So let me expound a little bit more about what it is that we're trying to teach children early on in this, what we call cocooning phase is kind of the early beginning stages of bringing a child home where you try to keep life as simple as possible and keep it your family unit as long as possible. So during that cocooning phase, parents are teaching their new children many, many important things about what a family is, what the role of a mom and a dad are, just new experiences for the children. The child is also learning that their world is a predictable and an orderly place. And because our children are usually coming from difficult backgrounds, there are just so many concepts about life and about family and about culture that are brand new to them. And as a result of that, parents need to work to keep life as simple as possible. And they might have to learn, I mean, just think about what a child might be learning. They might need to learn that they need that they're going to be consistently fed, 
they might need to learn that how to receive affection. Um, they often just don't understand concepts that we believe are very common sense, like personal space or the fact that they have items that belong to them, clothing or toys that are actually truly theirs and not shared with many others. All of these things are learned understandings. And it takes time for children to understand what we consider to just be these very basic concepts. So clearly this in this initial transition phase is important for so many different reasons. And at the top of that list for me, in my opinion, it's all about attachment and it's all about building a relationship between the child and the parents. And that's where healing actually begins. So something that I repeat frequently that has been said in a number of ways by a number of professionals is that problems that are formed within the context of relationships can only be healed within the context of relationships. And if we think about all the problems that children have encountered, trauma, abuse, neglect, abandonment, all of these are a result of unhealthy or broken relationships. And so their wounds are coming from a place of broken relationships. And those types of wounds can only be healed through healthy relationships. And these parents, these mothers and fathers are the God-given selected individuals to bring about healing and change in their child's life. And so we've got to do as support members, as the body of Christ, as family and friends, all that we can to empower them in that position. So what we're teaching them is trust. What we're teaching them is safety. We're teaching them all of these basic things about surviving in life, but we also want them to learn love and we want them to experience healthy relationships because that's where healing happens. Yeah, I think one of the most helpful things that, that we were taught along the way is is also to remember that that this is this is a very normal natural process. It's a God designed process to to create a um, a, a God-designed zone of safety and zone of trust. Mm. And that when, when an infant, like we don't have to think about working at it to, to, to feed a baby or to change a baby or to comfort a baby when they're crying. And, and that feedback loop that we, that we create when we meet their basic needs, um, that, that even with an infant who's a blank slate, it, it takes months of, mm. of consistent time and consistent care and, and there aren't that many variables, right? Um, but when, when you deal then with a child where that basic sense of trust wasn't established early, mm -hmm. there are all these other layers of complexity that come on top. And, and that we have to sort of see this as a, we, we didn't get here overnight and we're not going to get out of this overnight. That, that it's, that it's a very slow, very intentional, um, you know, very hyper focused kind of thing that we do. And that it feels unnatural, right? It feels like what's natural is that we want to share our kids with our community. We want to share them with our family. They want to, we want to share them with the grandparents. Especially when you're but, exhausted. Yeah, <laughs> right. You want to share the workload too. Absolutely. But, but realizing that like it's, it's more complex than that. And that, that the goal that we're working toward is, is ultimately for our kids to be able to have that, that trusting heart but also to be able to enter into those relationships well. And I can, I can testify that the other side of the story that I told is, is now a child who, who loves his grandparents dearly because 
because they didn't swarm over him and swoon over him early. Mm. And, and he's established a, a healthy relationship with them. And it, and it was because even though they didn't understand it, they, they trusted it and they, they did some things that felt unnatural. Mm. So like, as we talk about including others and that's, you know, really the kind of the center point of our, of our topic today and, and those who are going to be at a little more of a distance, whether it be grandparents and aunts and uncles or whether it be neighbors or whether it be people in our church family, what, what do we need to do um, in order to, to both prepare them, but then in order to also like integrate them into our lives with, with adopted children? Yeah, yeah. I want to start with just a few disclaimers to begin in with, um, I definitely want to share some just do's and don'ts for interacting with children. But and for the most part, all of these things that I'm going to share are general rules of thumb. Yet, however, individual parents are going to have different preferences. They're going to have preferences about how they want others to interact with their children. So when in doubt, it's really important for you to defer to the parents and to their discretion and to their wishes. Um, so again, our desire is to not only tell you what not to do, I want to equip you with the tools of what you can do to help as well. And just keep in mind that how long a child has been home is going to enter, is going to impact how you interact with him. So know that your support and your interaction is going to need to evolve over time. And when the child's only been home for a few weeks or a few months, Many more precautions need to be taken. Families need to have firmer boundaries in place initially. And then just know that those are eventually when the child is ready. There's no set timeline on this. But when the child is ready and when the family is ready, these are going to relax and change over time. So I think, Rick, that we can start with the don'ts in interacting. And I've got some suggestions of just what families or what friends and family members don't need to do that well, might. Great. Let's hear the don'ts. Tell us, okay. tell us what we need to avoid doing in order to help families. Good deal. I would say that one, one don't is just don't meet the needs or the wants of the child, which sounds super strange. So I want to clarify that one a little bit. I encourage you not to give food to the child early on. So it's just safest to say that initially you don't try to meet the needs or provide care for the child. That's when the parents are accessible. So this is how a child understands and learns who his caregiver is and who he belongs to. And I'd recommend that you allow parents to give a child anything that you might want him to have. So we don't want to lavish the child with gifts either. So if you've got food or if you've got a suck or if you've got something, just give it to the parent and allow the parent to hand it to the child. So if you want to give a gift to the child, ask what might be appropriate. Ask when it would be appropriate and maybe even allow the parent to give it to the child and get credit for it. Because, again, if we want to serve a family well, our chief priority needs to be that relationship and developing the relationship between the parent and the child. Another don't is don't ask questions about the child's history. So those in-depth conversations about the child's history or adoption or birth parents, sensitive subjects like that should take place between the parent and the child, or at the very least, 
these conversations need to be initiated by the child and not by you. Another don't would be don't lavish attention and affection on the new child initially. And remember that at first to the child, even though you potentially have longed for the child as well, you've prayed for this family, you've prayed for this child, you feel you've seen pictures, you feel like you know him or her well, you might just be a stranger to the child. And so it's best that you don't try to hold, hug or kiss the new child. So just don't lavish that affection on them and try not to bombard them. So too much affection can absolutely be overwhelming for the child and it can hurt the child's attachment with his foster adoptive parent. And so Whitney, I remember um, with, you know, with our son, as, as I was talking about earlier, the, you know, those moments when he would, he would go around and, and throw his arms up to anybody who, you know, who was in front of him. Um, and, and remember, you know, again, how hard it was for grandparents in particular, not to meet that need and not to, you know, not to sweep him up. But I also remember him, him being very, very stiff when we would hold him, mm-hmm. you know, held his own head up and, and like, wouldn't put, you know, wouldn't kind of mold to your body. And, and distinctly, I remember the, the, like the very moment that I saw his mom pick him up for the very first time where he like molded to her body and just snuggled his head in on her shoulder and, and like had that. And it was almost as if there was this exhale of like, I trust you. And and so therefore I'm just letting go. Um, And, and so, um, but here's the thing, grandparents and aunts and uncles and, and, and friends all got the benefit of that too. Because there was a point then where it was appropriate for them to to be able to sweep him up and for them to be able to to hold him and and then we watched this amazing thing happen that he would do that and he would he would go to them but he also would would sort of keep an eye open because he always wanted to know where mom was mm-hmm. or he always wanted to know where I was even even when he was in the safety of of somebody's arms that he trusted. And so that whole indiscriminate affection thing is, you know, is a big part of this. And, and, um, and, and I think so, so a couple of other things that you, you know, that you mentioned that are, um, that are key um, to us, to us not doing early in the beginning. Um, Indiscriminate affection is one of them. What else have you got? Yeah. So another is just not to encourage the child to come to you and to leave the parent's side, especially early on. So we want to do all that we can to encourage attachment between the parent and the child. You're going to hear me say that over and over and over again. And we just don't want to do anything to discourage it. So we want to encourage them to be with their parents and redirect them to the parents as much as possible. Another one that I've heard just really frequently from a lot of different parents is don't forget about or ignore the other children in the family. So people are just naturally drawn to the new child in the family or the one that looks different from the rest of the family. And they have really good intentions. So they kind of go out of their way to try to address or include this child, showing him extra attention. And as a result of that, the other children in the family very quickly, very easily feel less important and they feel overlooked. And I've heard parents say statements like, 
they are transitioning too, and they need encouragement and support, speaking of their biological children. So these are just a few suggestions of what not to do um, in interacting with children in care or children who have been adopted. So, Whitney, if I'm if I'm out there listening to this podcast and, and I'm a parent, I'm probably at the point of saying, wow, that's great information, but I'm also frustrated because I'm frustrated because I want to know more and I want to know more of those things that I can do. I want to know, you know, more things that I can 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 tell people around me or can help with. And and so we've got some good news for them. We've we've created a resource that gives them much more. Yes. Um, it's called Equip to Love. Um, Whitney has um, created a video series, um, six video sessions available free from Lifeline as a download. This is intended for um, church friends and family and people that are that are kind of in in close orbit to our lives that we're trying to to help to be part of this. And so, um, can you tell folks where they can find Equipped to Love? Absolutely. You can go to Lifeline's main webpage, which is lifelinechild.org. And on the top, one of the tabs is the church. You can click on the church, go down to resources. And when you click on resources, one of the resources listed will be equipped to love. You fill out basic information with your name and then you immediately have access to all of those training videos. And there are it's a long training series. Definitely, you can use those videos in any capacity that you like. But then we've got a facilitator guide and participant guides. If you want to get together a group in your church or see if this is something that your leadership in your church wants to take on, it's a training series that is designed just for this purpose to help educate the body of Christ and how to support and care for families like yours well. Yeah, so you could you could share this series with people in your family or um, or people in your small group. They can watch just watch the videos, or if you even with um, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, people in your church that are going to be interacting with your kids on a regular basis. Um, there are the videos there, but there's also a teaching plan that helps them to kind of work through and think through how to implement this in the environment that um, that they're interacting with your children in. Lifeline really wants to make available to families and to churches um, those kinds of things. And so if you'll just go to our website, we'd love to share with you those videos so that you can put them in the hands of friends and family. We're, we're coming to the end of our opportunity in this segment, and, uh, and we've only gotten through the don'ts. And so here's our pledge to you. We're going to, on our very next segment of um, the Defender Podcast Extra Edition, we're going to pick up with this conversation with Whitney, um, and, and we're going to talk through what are some of the do's, what are some of the things that you want to proactively do with friends and family and with, with people um, in your loop of relationship in order to, um, to best help your children um, to build trust and, and attachment. And so, Whitney, thanks for joining us. We look forward to extending this conversation on the next episode. Um, Thank you. But thanks for sharing with us today. Absolutely. And this is, again, been the Defender Podcast Extra Edition. I'm Rick Morton, your host. Um, this is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services. We would love to hear from you and hear of ways that we might be able to minister to your family or to your church. You can find us at www.lifelinechild.org um, or at Lifeline Child on Instagram and Twitter or Lifeline Children's Services on Facebook. Um, thank you, and we will see you soon.